Hello, everyone, and welcome to Curious Life of a Scientist. I'm your host, Katie Sanders, and today I'm talking to Dr. K, a fabulous lecturer here at UC Irvine. Um, do you want to maybe say your full name and your position here at UCI? Sure. Uh, my full name is Dr. Pavan Kadandale, and I'm an assistant teaching professor at the Department of Molecular Biology and Biochemistry in the Ayala School of Biological <laughs> Sciences at UC Irvine. All right. It's quite a title. It's quite a title, <laughs> yeah. Um, and let's just start by talking about any old funny, weird, crazy experiments you've done or anything that's happened. So that's... one of the craziest things that... that uh, that we should have published, actually, I think, in the Journal of Irreproducible Results was this weird <laughs> thing. One single observation we had once, this was, um, we had started, this was back back in India when I was doing my master's in biochemistry, and we were doing, we had lab practicals, and so one of the things we were doing was running a protein gel. So it was just okay. standard, you know, standard, yeah. SDS page, we loaded BSA in one of the lanes, protein ladder and, you know, mm -hmm. markers in the other lane, ran the gel, everything was going well. And we stained it with Kumasi okay. and saw exactly nothing. Okay. So we were like, what the hell? How? Where did it go? Because it's pretty simple. It's yeah. just PSA, nothing else, right? So, okay. So we weren't very good lab citizens at the time. So we, we <laughs> instead of throwing the gel away like we should have, we just left it sitting around for a while. Huh. And a couple of weeks later, we were actually cleaning up the lab and we found the gel. We were like, oh, here's our gel. That was a waste <laughs> of time. And exactly at the spot where we should have seen... The BSA band, which we didn't with the Kumasi uh -huh. stain, we saw a layer of fungus, like exactly <gasps> making out no. a band. We were like, whoa, extra. Was the hyper. gel just out in the open? Was it, was it just in out liquid? In the, it was just in it liquid just... out in the open. Oh we were like, holy, God. this is like an ultra sensitive <laughs> method of detecting <laughs> There proteins. you go. Why don't we do but, it that yeah, way? Because it, it just takes two weeks, you know, you got to grow the fungus. <laughs> just, and yeah, That's yeah, hilarious. Funny as hell. Yeah, we were that's like, crazy. Whoa. Did you frame but, it? I don't know. No, because this is before the age of digital cameras and caps. <laughs> so I think we were. It's just That's in my so memory. Crazy. It was funny as hell. Yeah. Growing your little fungus. Yeah, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. Say. So very yeah, sensitive method a, yeah, of detection. <laughs> that was that was my chance to make a million dollars. You know, like if we had, if we had patented the fungus. Yeah, and, just a quick two week turnaround time. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> well, anyway, but That's hilarious. yeah. So that was the funny experiment. I was just I could, I yeah. Swear, I was, what? What's going on? Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, let's start maybe with your childhood, kind of where you went to school, how you decided to go into science, when you decided to do that. So I was, I'm one of these weird kids that, that I think pretty much, I, I never seriously considered doing anything other than becoming a scientist. Oh, so you so were a little kid. I was, about yeah, it. I mean, I mean, well, I was little, I wanted to be a police officer because I wanted to play with guns, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking about okay. when I was a, a rational human being yeah. as opposed to a kid. Yeah. Um, so I, I was always very, I have to admit though, my first, uh, my first love was actually cosmology. Oh. And I wanted to become an astrophysicist and, 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 and you know, talk about universes and black holes uh -huh. and all that. Cool was this stuff. in high school? This or was, yeah, this was about, in, yeah, about 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, okay. so around that time. I, I mean, I was also very, very interested in, bi in biology and, uh -huh. and was fascinated it by it. It all kind but, of goes were, together at that So age. they were both, and I think, like, I still distinctly remember the thing that, that, that one of the things that blew my mind was the fact that uh, it was sort of the ending sentence in, um, in Carl Sagan's Cosmos. When he uh -huh. talks about how we are all star stuff trying uh -huh. to ponder stars. And I was like, wow, yeah. that's like cosmology and biology all yeah. in one. And it's fantastic and it's great. And it's, you know, 
So, um, well, it's interesting. Yeah, cosmology is kind of looking up and looking at the biggest things possible in biology, or at least what we do, microbiology. Yeah. It's looking at the, the smallest small, thing right, possible, exactly. like kind of in the opposite direction. So, so that was kind of so. But I realized, thankfully, I think that I was very, very bad at abstract mathematics. <laughs> so that kind of put paid to the whole cosmology yeah, aspect of okay. my life. But I was still very, very curious. So I actually did even through my uh, undergrad, I actually did an honors program in astronomy and astrophysics, and I got to use oh. these really cool telescopes and wow, map the intensity cool. of, of this uh, binary pulsar system. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it's still an abiding love, and I still yeah. keep up to date with sort of the oh, current that's great. theories and trends and stuff. But, yeah, I realized I was not, I was going to suck at it. It wasn't going to be so, your forte. Okay. Yeah, so then I moved into, so I got then much more serious about biology and started exploring more, and and I and I'm I'm a very curiosity driven personality, uh-huh. and so so research was just an like, what else can I the do natural, where I can ask the most yeah. bizarre questions and actually like figure <laughs> out answers, figure right? Out. Yeah. So um, and that's the thing. I think the 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 key is for me was knowing that I was just curious, and it's mm-hmm. and my curiosity I think extends to everything. Yeah. Right? Like for example, I still remember getting yelled at by um, by my wife. We were at dinner once. And I was like, you know what? Because she's much more healthy than I am. So she ordered a salad and I ordered the steak, right? So classic <laughs> dichotomy. But I just noticed for the first time that both our food came out at exactly the same time. Uh-huh. Right? And I'm like, okay, a steak takes a minimum of like eight minutes to cook. Okay. Um, and a salad, they probably have everything ready-made. They're just chucking things in if you're lucky and it's fresh. Or yeah. they have the salad sitting out there since morning. Who knows, right? Yeah. But but there's a time difference between the salad and the steak when it's going to be ready, but yet they bring it out at the same time. So either they make the salad and they leave it sitting out uh-huh. until the steak comes and then they bring it all out together, or they sort of time it so that the <laughs> steak, they start making the salad when they know the steak is going to be finished. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I wonder how they figure this out. And then I was like, okay, so is there, and then I was like, is it convergent evolution? Like, do all restaurants like come up with the same idea somehow magically like there's one optimal yeah. way and they do it? Or is it just divergent evolution yeah, and every restaurant has their out. own way yeah. of doing it? And Judy was like, shut up and eat your steak. Like who cares? Right? But but that's what I mean. Like so I'm you yeah. know, it's like weird, like we'll be on a hike yeah, and every see little ants thing. and yeah. I'll be like, Oh, look at all these ants going in a straight line. Like, can I mess with them and make them go like around this rock and I'll and Judy's gone. She's like, I'm going to go to the peak and I'll be there playing with the ants. You know, so, yeah. The so, natural curiosity kind of yeah. picked your so studies was, for you. Yeah. So, so, so I think it was, it was a pretty straightforward decision. Like I was just, yeah, everything blew was, my mind. So it was very easy to, to get into science. So, so that was, you know, pretty much since high school, that was my goal was to become a research scientist. And, um, and then I also knew that I wanted to be in academia because um, the things that made a difference to my life and, and I am where I am now because I had some, I had a lot of shitty professors, a lot of shitty <laughs> teachers, but I also had some phenomenal, like absolutely fantastic people okay. who I got to know, you know, as individuals, yeah. you know, stayed friends through the years. And actually, um, one of my fondest memories is when I actually moved from India where I was born and grew up and did most of my early schooling, mm-hmm. uh, I moved to, to New Jersey, Rutgers University to do my PhD. Okay. And the f- 
and that was the very first time I was flying. It was the very first time oh, I was leaving wow. the, leaving India ever. Yeah. It was all big, and I was super excited. Yeah. But um, the other thing that's really neat about that is um, I had grown very close to my high school English professor, uh-huh. and her son and daughter-in-law lived in New Jersey. Oh. But she had never visited them because she was afraid of flying on her own. Oh. And so since I was flying to New Jersey, I was like, hey, Dr. Shesh, do you want to do you want to go Let's together? Let's go, yeah. And so my first flight, I actually flew with my oh. English professor from high school. That's and we so flew nice. Together and the very first night I spent in the U.S. was in her, in her, in her son's uh, house that, was, that I heard oh, so much that's about. that's great. So, so those... What and, a coincidence. And, and those are the <laughs> things that, you know, but... And we had built the relationship where she had seen me through a lot of hard times and uh-huh. she'd been, you know, a mentor. And I had, a, you know, a couple of really amazing people like that in my life. And so I, That's great. I always felt like it was, <clears throat> I had an obligation to pay it forward. I mean, uh-huh. of course, there's a little bit of arrogance there that I'm assuming that I can achieve the same <laughs> level of competence as those people. Yeah. But, uh, and I guess that was my, my confidence. I never, I never questioned that I would be at least somewhere in yeah. their ballpark. And so I felt that. Um, I, you know, it, it, you could it help others me the way that, that, that I had been helped. Oh, that's so, great. So, so those were the two things I was pretty, you know, it was kind of, those were the two things I aimed for was to do science and, and be in academia and kind of okay. be a mentor. And so, and so you knew going into your PhD, that yeah. was, and so you grew up in India. Is it the same kind of school system there where you go to four years of undergrad and then no it's actually a little bit different so we okay. only do three years of undergrad okay. and so I couldn't actually apply to grad school in the U.S. directly after I finished my undergrad because I only had three years of schooling oh. in it four which is why I did a master's I see. In, in in between okay um, a lot of students in India will just do one year of master's and then and transfer then... over and I was like yeah I actually loved my master's program and yeah met a lot of really amazing People and that was probably the time I got my ass kicked the most. Like it was, <laughs> it was an incredibly rigorous, incredibly really? demanding curriculum. But fan, I mean, absolutely fantastic. Like I, I don't That's think great. I, like those were the two years where I transitioned from just being a smart, cocky kid <laughs> to being an actually <laughs> cocky Critical, scientist, yeah. right? So uh-huh. like to really think, critical and really, thinker. Yeah. And, and did you already know that you wanted to do grad school in the U.S.? Is that uh, I know I want to do people... grad school. Well, I had applied to grad schools um, in India as well, uh-huh. uh, but my first choice was because again I was like, part of that curiosity was I had the travel bug, and, yeah. and going to grad school in a different country and living in a different place was yeah. huge and cool, yeah, and, exciting and exciting, okay. and and that was also so I came from a relatively um, financially poor background as well okay. so that then this was the only way I could really get to travel yeah like, holy crap they're gonna pay me to go live there and do science <laughs> I know it's amazing yeah so uh yeah so I so okay. those were those were kind of my choice I, I considered Europe but then Europe would be a would be a language problem and I was it's yeah. pretty much anywhere except England which I didn't really want to go to yeah but I considered like France or Spain or Germany oh, wow, and stuff. Yeah. But I was like, oh man, I don't That's know the language. It's always exciting when so, you're like, I could go anywhere and yeah. do anything. So that was that was kind of the idea. And then, so, so okay, so what kinds of things did you study during your undergrad and masters? Were you so undergrad? Kind of uh, I actually I did a um, I guess the equivalent of what you would call a triple major. It's kind of a weird system in <laughs> India. So, okay. Um, so I did microbiology, chemistry, and zoology. Oh wow! Um, All the biologies. <laughs> uh, most of the biologies, and and it's funny because really, like it blows my mind that you have all these. Um, like if you're doing an undergrad here, you can you choose what courses you're taking. And right. You're like, oh, I don't know. I need this many credits. And in India, it was super simple. The only choice I had in undergrad was. 
Okay, I want to do microbiology. Okay, great. You have to do chemistry. Here's the big choice we're going to give you. Along with those two, do you want to do zoology or botany? <laughs> right? Oh, wow. That was it. That, okay. was, that was the only choice. And once I, once I, I ticked off zoology, all of the courses that I was going to take for the next three years were set in stone. It was all laid it was out. Done. I knew I knew I was going to take this and this and this. Yeah. Everyone in my class took the same courses together at the same time. Oh, wow. Was that. So it was, that sounds good. Yeah. When in I... some senses, it was much simpler. Yeah, for my undergrad, I don't think I had very, I didn't get as good advising and I just kind of took physics and chemistry and I kind of just took everything slowly but surely. Yeah. And I looked back and I thought, oh, I should have had a better plan for that. So I wasn't taking, <laughs> yeah. you know, but yeah, I so had that's a great good plan. that they I had. Off yeah. zoology. <laughs> that was your choice. That just was, tick. Yeah, one, of, one or two. That was my option. Yeah. That's great. And then for your master's, did you... Do, did you join a lab? Is it kind of the same yeah, thing? Yeah, so you join a lab? well, so it's kind of no, because you do so masters. Like I said, it was a really rigorous program. So uh -huh. I think we were taking. I did the calculation a while back, and I forget it. But I, I forget. <laughs> I think we were doing about the equivalent of twenty-four credits. Oh wow! Um, a, a, a quarter, but oh, at the same a quarter? time, well, we had an <laughs> annual system, but so breaking okay. it down, it comes to about twenty-four quarter, twenty-four credits a quarter. Okay, so it was very so that's what I mean. Class like, heavy. Not, yeah, was, yeah. I mean, we we literally worked Saturdays too. Like we had yeah. classes on Saturdays. Oh my gosh! We went from Monday morning to Saturday afternoon. Voluntary thing. No, no, no. You were yeah. there. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's intense. Um, like Saturday afternoons were presentations. So <clears throat> every week wow. you. Everyone took turns presenting a paper. You were graded on your presentation. And that was on Saturday afternoon. So, wow. yeah, you were missing it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, super. And on top of that, we had to be in one of the professor's labs and have our own research project. Oh, my gosh. So, which is why I kid you not when I say those were the hardest two years. <laughs> yeah. Of yeah. That was, I know. I was going to say harder than a PhD, but it's Oh, hell yeah. Very... PhD was a cakewalk. <laughs> trust me. Compared to that, yeah. Wow. It, it, and it's funny, too. Like, like I would take courses for my PhD and I could not understand why this was so hard for so many of my classmates. I'm like, yeah. what is wrong with you people? And your background was because I was for a, it. it was yeah. I mean, that master's was just like I'd already done everything three times over by the yeah. time I started my PhD. So it was that's great. You know, it was Good training. It was yeah. It was really fantastic. Um, um, so it was you know, kudos to MS University <laughs> in India. That was you know, they prepared you well. Yeah, they, they were great. And so what kind of research did you do there? Um, so actually the first research project, well, the, the, I was looking at, um, at, at DNA transport. Okay. So I, I got excited because I was learning about protein transport. And again, my mind was blown. I was like, oh, yeah, how do <laughs> proteins know where to go? And, yeah. and, you know, uh, and specifically, how do they get into the nucleus and how do they get shuttled? And then we learned about, mm -hmm. you know, I was learning about the, the, the what is that now? I forget, the RAN GTPases and the cycle uh -huh. and... You know how they come on and off, and it was beautiful and yeah. it was fantastic. And I was like, well, "What happens with DNA?" And it yeah. turned out no one really knew. So, for example, when a virus enters a cell, uh -huh. a eukaryotic cell, sure, we understand that it injects its chromosomal material into the cytoplasm. Right. But there's the key: how does it go from the cytoplasm how does it to the get nucleus? Into the nucle yeah. Right, because there's this whole there... second membrane. Yeah. Um, and it turns out there was very little known about this. Um, there, and, and this also explains why certain viruses are dependent upon cell division for infection because uh, they wait for the cell division uh -huh. cycle when the nuclear envelope is break, broken down and then you have free access can, to DNA yeah. and, then, right. and then God help you. But, <laughs> but, but there are some that don't require that cell don't. division. Yeah, so and how, so how do they get in there? <laughs> or even, for example, when you do, exp when you do your transfection experiments, uh -huh. how does your DNA get in? 
to the nucleus. Like your transfecting yeah. is only up to the cytoplasm. Oh, yeah. And then how does it get all the way into the nucleus? So that was the question I got interested in. So very, okay. sort of very, very sort of basic level, level I was looking at transformation in yeast. Um, and it turned out, and I have no idea what the mechanism for this is, but, <laughs> but it turned out that if you block endocytosis in yeast, you greatly decrease the rate of transformation. And it's not dependent upon them getting nutri- nutrients in. Somehow, this DNA that you're huh. transforming is using endocytosis to get into, into the nucleus. The nucleus. Um, and so I had this weird sort of hand-waving huh. argument that the endos- endocytic pathway can fuse with, let's say, for example, the ER, which is continuous with the nuclear envelope. Uh-huh. And so maybe that's how they get in. That's yeah, gets in, but that's interesting. But at that point of time, my two years were up, and I was out of there. Yeah, out of there. I got my grade, and yeah, I don't know what happened to that project. Yeah. yeah. I think I was the only one on that lab working on that project, so okay. it died when I left. And then how did you pick a graduate lab, uh, or a graduate school, really? Did you graduate school, apply? so I picked, uh, I picked graduate school, was, so there were two considerations. So one was, what ones did I get into, and yeah. then the other one was, which of those <laughs> do I want? Yeah. Uh, and then after the ones that I got into, I picked Rutgers because I really had no clue what specific aspect of biology I wanted to be working in. And uh-huh. Rutgers had this great umbrella program okay. where I could pick from like 200 professors. Yes. So I was like, That's... oh, fantastic, I'm going to do that. Um, yeah, and it that's was, what I loved about UCI. It's so rotating and stuff. Yeah, so it was great. Okay. So so I went, um, did my rotations, and then found uh, Andy Singson's lab. And and it was funny because he was a uh, he was a he was a young PI. He he started up the okay. same year that I was starting oh, in grad school. That sounds familiar. So what was really <laughs> so it was a really cool experience to actually help set up the lab. And yeah. I think I learned a lot about like how do you decide which incubator we're going to buy and yeah, how we're going to set up the lab stuff. and yeah. where the initial database things, like how are you going to keep track of all the reagents and uh-huh. what kind of databases do you make? Organization, exactly. kind of administrative yeah. stuff, yes. Yeah. So that was actually a really cool, like that was my rotation. I did very little experiments. <laughs> I was like helping set up all of the organizational details. For, yeah, for that is very lab. similar to my experience. Yeah, and it's actually, I think, really cool, right? Because yeah. it's a society you would learn never a lot see. Yeah. about kind of that side of of science, which most people don't have exactly. to deal with until they have their own lab, and right. then it's just like, whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, so that was, uh, so, I, so I did my PhD, I was, I was working with worms and looking at um, fertilization in worms, and so I was trying okay. to identify molecules that were required for the sperm and the egg to recognize each other prior to fusion. Okay. Um, and so, uh, so we discovered the first uh, egg-specific molecules that were required Ooh. for sperm egg fusion in Sailgans. Cool. They were very creatively called egg one and egg two, and now it's a whole <laughs> family of them. I think we're up to like egg eight or egg nine or something oh, nice. like that. And so, how is it working with C. elegans? I've never worked with. Um, C. elegans actually are super. Is it, they're is it? the 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 in the C. elegans field, everyone is convinced that Sidney Brenner, who sort of pioneered the use of worms, uh-huh. uh made a pact with the devil and sold his soul to the devil because. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Because there's no way he could have predicted so much about C. elegans biology that turns out to be fantastic. Uh, so, okay. for example, in a good way. Do, yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. in a good way. Because he could not have predicted that you could do double-stranded RNA interference by yeah. just feeding bacteria yes. that express the double-stranded RNA on the worms. And the worms would eat the bacteria, you would get yeah. gene knockout. Like yeah. How much easier that yeah, does it get, that's right? Crazy. And there's no way that Neil Brenner could have known that. And yeah. So, 
You must just, have made a pact with the devil, yeah. To figure out that was the animal. Yeah, a lot of microRNA stuff has come out of, yeah. well, I so mean, it started I mean, in Cielgen, So Yeah, and they have, you know, it's just a fantastic model system. They have the complete, um, at EM level, I, I'm, I think they have at the EM level, the entire three-dimensional wiring diagram of their entire neuronal wow. system for worms. So that's given rise to some f- amazing experiments. Yeah. Um, and again, well, how do you grow them? Do you keep them at like room Oh, you just leave them on your table, yeah. You just leave them in a little yeah. container. Just put a spot of bacteria. Put a little petting. food yeah. and you're good. And good. That sounds so much easier yeah. than and <laughs> a lot of make a cool, models. And when you make a cool worm, you just freeze the damn thing down like cells. And then it'll just thaw and you be can fine? Th- we have thawed out vials that Sidney Brenner froze down and were shipped to us. Wow. And 30 how, years that, later, you just unfreeze that them is, and off they go. That's magic. That, that's just, it's magic. Soul to soul to the devil. That's what it was. <laughs> Give me an animal that I can freeze down and yeah. thaw and it'll be yeah. fine. Wow. So, yeah, they're a great model system. And, and, uh, and then for my postdoc, I switched to worms. And I kept joking with my uh, doctoral advisor that I did the exact opposite that he did. So he actually started with flies in UCSD. Okay. Um, oh, you switched to flies in your postdoc? Yeah, for okay. flies. Okay. And he switched to worms for his postdoc. Oh, and I did so you... worms for graduate work and switched uh-huh. to flies for postdoc in UCSD. So we were like, you know, oh. diametrically opposite. Okay, so you came over here for your postdoc. For my postdoc. Okay. So my postdoc Wait, first though, so with grad school, it sounds like your master's program really prepared you for the stress yes. and challenges, but was there any, what were kind of the major challenges you faced there? Was it more science? Was it more um, stress related or? I think. Or were you just excited I mean, I think, and happy? I was pretty excited. I liked the place I was in. I made a lot of really good friends. Um, That's good. I really had a, you know, I mean, I've, I'm, I've been very lucky that I've had a fairly easy, like my advisor was, was great. I didn't have any major issues with him. Okay. Uh, he was very supportive of all the things that I wanted to do. Um, and especially I'm thankful to him because um, I had an opportunity to actually teach, to develop and teach my own course um, under oh. a summer bridges program at, oh, cool. uh, at, at Rutgers, actually UMDNJ, University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. Okay. sister campus to Rutgers. They just split the med school off for some weird reason. And I yeah. know now they're going to rejoin them again. So whatever. <laughs> um, but they had the summer bridges program for um, underprivileged students. Um, they would come in in the summer. They would take these um, uh, these rigorous courses that mm-hmm. would help them prepare to do when they went into med school. That would give them sort of a little bit of a leg up and help them be prepared for med school. So mm-hmm. that, was the, that was the idea of these things. And cool. for whatever reason that I'm still not clear about they wanted a grad student to teach the human genetics portion of it oh wow um and so i had a friend who had done it the first year and then they were and they wanted to change up some things but he was graduating and he was like hey do you want to do you want to do it and i was like yeah that sounds really cool so um chandy was very supportive of of my taking i mean i didn't take the summer off, but mm-hmm. clearly my productivity yeah. dropped because it wasn't just TAing. I had to develop the whole course oh, and wow. I had to teach it, and it was Make six hours a day. Yeah, it was six hours yeah. a day with these kids. What? Yeah. Oh wow, very intensive. It was very intensive because part of the program. So it was this. It was this really intense program where they had to learn human genetics. They had to do some kind of a little research project oh. on human genetics, and wow. then present it at. A symposium at the end of the six weeks. That's great. So not only was I training them, not only was I teaching them genetics, but I was teaching them also, they had to do a research project. 
and they, I had to teach them how to use PowerPoint and how to oh, present themselves wow. professionally. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that explains the six hours of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so wow. it was, it was both, both, uh, it was not, it was not just content, but it was also prof- like, how, yeah. do you, how do you behave professionally? And how you do you feel so, prepared to do that? Oh, hell them? no. But I was like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Try it. it sounds Give like it a, a fun thing to do. Yeah. Um, and was that the first time you really taught a class? That was the first time I taught a class. I, cause I, uh, cause again, I was very lucky. I had, uh, I had fellowships throughout my uh, mm-hmm. grad career, so I never TA'd. I never, I have never oh. TA'd. Oh my gosh, like, that is I so I went funny. straight from nothing to <laughs> designing and teaching my own class. Oh, that's crazy. So yeah, jumped in at the deep end. Okay. Uh, but it was a fantastic experience. Yeah. And apparently I did reasonably well because they wanted me to go back the next year again and I did great. it again. Um, okay, so you really enjoyed it. So and, I really enjoyed it. It was yeah. great. It was a great experience and and. and Actually, a couple of the students that I had at Rutgers, I'm still I'm still in touch with, and they've oh, gone nice. on to med school and doing That's really great. well. And, yeah, fantastic experience. Um, was that when you kind of realized that maybe you wanted to teach more than? Uh, no, I always or you knew, enjoyed teaching more than other parts. I of? always knew that I would enjoy teaching. I always knew that I would okay. wanted to teach. The question was, would I be good at it? Yeah. And I had all these weird <laughs> notions about how about how I wanted to teach. Right? I didn't uh-huh. want to be the kind of person that walks in and just, you know, just do content delivery. Like that was yeah. that's not my style. So I had all these notions about how thing, how you should, how I should have been taught. Uh-huh. So I'm like, this is how I am yeah. going to teach. And so it was really great that I got to put all of those theories into practice and yeah. see, you know, whether I lived up to my own lofty notions <laughs> of what I thought I could yeah. be and stuff like that. So it was very, you know, it was a very positive experience. It was great. Yeah, being asked, to, asked back again and then apparently I did okay the second time as well and they asked me back the third time and I said you know I'm writing up my thesis now yeah. and I better I gotta quit close, while I'm yeah. ahead yeah <laughs> but and um, at that point did you know you wanted to I guess or what, what did you want to do when you what did you think you wanted to do when you started grad school uh, after grad school oh I wanted did to you, yeah I wanted to I knew I was going to do a postdoc Okay, postdoc, stay in academia. Yeah, yeah, okay, so you already knew, and then when you taught, you yeah. were like, let's see if yeah. this that was the, works That out. was pretty much, I don't think I ever really seriously changed my mind about any of that. I was pretty sure I wanted to stay in research, okay. pretty sure I wanted to stay in academia. And I knew going in, I think that, I think one of the things, one of the big pieces of advice that I would, that I would give to students mm-hmm. is to really go into things with your eyes open. Like, I knew uh-huh. what I was going to be giving up in order to pursue that lifestyle. But I also knew for me what were the benefits going yeah. I knew what's gonna make it worth it. Correct. And I knew funding was always gonna be a problem. I knew there was always gonna be the stress of publishing and publishing and publishing yeah. and writing grants and you know, uh, going and presenting at meetings and generating data and your experiments don't work and mm-hmm. so sure, I knew all of that going in, but I also knew that I had that urge and that drive to keep doing it. Yeah. And that at the end of the day it was all worth it to me. Because at the, because the other thing that I think is is pretty pretty amazing about the career that I find myself in is, um, is you is you ultimately do have quite a bit of flex flexibility, right? Okay. So there are times when I can say, hey, you know what, I, I got to get, I got to do this from for whatever week forty two of the year. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get everything I need to get done before then. So week forty two is completely clear on my schedule, and I can you know. Yeah go out and do whatever it was, travel, whatever it was I wanted to do in yeah. 42. So, um, and that's what I mean by going into it with your eyes open, that I think you have to be very good with time management in order to make time for the things that you want to be doing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, grad school, you know, I was, I was, I think I was pretty reasonably productive and 
got a lot of stuff done, published a lot of papers. But at the same time, you know, I mean, I had a lot of fun. I went kayaking in <laughs> uh, in 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 the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. Yeah. We used to go every um, every um, August and September. We would be down in Cape May to, to go bird watching because it's one of the best bird watching oh, spots in the world. That's um, awesome. We would go camping. Watching. We were in. You know, we would you know go up to the Delaware Water Gap and camp. Yeah, we and still hike. made time and, yeah. for. And in fact, a lot Other of the, things. yeah, and that's, it's actually in grad school that I started playing volleyball, which I continue to do to this day. And some oh, of my okay. best friends that I've met have been through, you know, um, volleyball. And cool. so I would, you know, had a chance to do that. Uh, that's great. Yeah. I think a lot of grad students kind of, you start and you're so committed that you spend all your time in the lab and it's a couple years before you, at least for me, before you kind of look up and realize, oh, you need to do other things in life yeah, to totally be able to yeah. have the drive yeah. to continue doing the work and kind of have that balance. I think it's hard for a lot of people to find that balance. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's very easy to get sucked into the lifestyle of just sitting in lab 18 hours all a day and going home and eating ramen and coming back next morning. Yeah. And I think... I. I think that was one of the good things. I didn't fall in that trap. And I would mm -hmm. like, and I would also try, I was also, I would also try and integrate myself in other parts of the graduate experience. So for example, um, for four out of the, four of the seven years that I was in grad school, um, I would help organize the international students orientation. Um, oh, cool. Every great. summer, a couple, you know, it was a, it was a couple of days of orientation and it was great because you've got to help out students coming in uh -huh. going to sort of some of the same, like something as obvious as it took me years. I kid you not. It took me years to get over this whole, how are you doing business? Right. Because <laughs> you say hi in India or you say hello. Yeah. If you ask someone a question, you stick around for the answer. Yeah. And here you don't. How are you doing is the equivalent of hi. Yeah, that's and true. And it took me years to figure this out. Oh. Right? And this was some, and it's funny because every international student at Rutgers had the exact same experience. And that we would, so we would get together and we would rant about how someday somebody would ask you this question <laughs> and we would say, sit down, I'll tell you how I'm doing. Yeah. And then tell them exactly how we were doing, which would take like a whole freaking hour. That's so interesting because that's just your basic like communication, but it's true. People just say, oh, how are you doing? Okay, see ya. And, and it's so hard even... to, it was so hard to just walk away because I'm yeah. like, I'm doing well and they're already gone. Yeah. Like, Wait, what? That is so weird. So, yeah. Just so like, yeah, like just a weird American cultural yeah. thing that just became a greeting. Yeah. Just like, hello. So, huh. so it's funny. So all these things, you so know, we would, so as an international student, you know, yeah. you could help other people say, okay, tell them. I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> it's going to sound weird, but here's what you do when someone says, how are you doing? You say, great, how you doing? And you walk away. No answers. Don't worry. Don't stick around. Just keep moving. That is funny. Yeah, that's great that then that you would, yeah, give so, your time to help incoming people yeah. I mean, it wasn't deal just, with the same thing. I mean, there's also selfish interest. I also got to meet people yeah, from all over the people. world. And it's great. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it was a lot yeah, of Yeah, one fun. of the best things about a university is yeah. there's people from all over. Everyone has different things, different cultures. And then and, uh, in the middle for a while, I was dating this girl from Germany. So I was like, oh, I'm going to learn about German culture. And so I started <laughs> hanging out with the German literature students in, oh. at Rutgers. And I would go, you know, we would watch, I would go to their German movie nights and German dinner cool. nights and things like that. Yeah. Um, so you really so took advantage of not only the science, but I, the kind of the social life of yeah. graduate school. And then we would, and then the other thing I did was we played for pretty much every year we would put together a team for Indo soccer, a bunch of grad students. And again, it was all very international. So uh -huh. like, 
our goalkeeper was this Irish American dude <laughs> who played music and was a something or the other. Um, and uh, our forward was this guy from Greece, and we had this other Brazilian nice. dude who yeah. was my roommate. And so it was, you know. That's great. And I think that's, like, I think that's important. I think that that's another thing I would I would strongly recommend is you live beyond biology and science because yeah. I think your life is so much more enriched when you have all these yeah really cool experiences I mean it might be a complete waste of time but you know ultimately you meet people you listen to different points of view you get yeah. to hang out and you make friends that as someone who loves to travel like I cannot tell you how much money I've saved by having friends all over the, <laughs> all over the world yeah just go and crash stay at with you place. yeah and, that's you know, great it's it's great yeah um, I think that's a really important thing that a lot of graduate students forget to do is kind of pay attention to your social life and your friends and yeah. make time for that. Yeah. Cause everyone just so, gets wrapped up and yeah. And I that. think, and I think that was one of the things that helped me with all of the stresses was mm -hmm. having these other outlets and having like, it, even if lab life sucked at points in time well, uh -huh. for many points in time, as <laughs> you all know, um, but there was always something fun at the end of the day that I could do or, you know, at yeah. the end of the week or whatever, that was nice to sort of get away from that nonsense. And, yeah. You know, just um, just have fun, and I think that that's important. Um, yeah. And I think that's sort of one of the big things that helped me with the stress and kept me still yeah. motivated and eager to get back and do cool stuff. Just having uh, yeah, other lab. things going on that's yeah. important. So um, yeah, and so so I yeah, and then I knew I was going to do a postdoc, and I think that yeah, so was how did you decide? That was stressful as well, trying to figure out where I want to do for yeah. what I where I want to go for a postdoc, and at the time I was. Um, I was dating someone who was actually a, uh, she was from China and she was a uh, comparative, she was doing her PhD in comparative literature. Oh, wow. And she was finishing up, so it was a big question of where we wanted to end up and uh -huh. whether she was willing to move away from Rutgers and how would we support ourselves. And yeah. All of these big questions. Um, so that was, you know, it was big kind of a change, hard, yeah, big step, yeah. kind of a hard decision. Um, in, in the end, it was sort of a joint decision that San Diego would, uh, would afford us a good place to live in and then mm -hmm. there were so many sort of um, little schools and, and, and colleges that we could then apply for jobs later yeah. on in the area and so it seemed like a good place um, to end up and I, I yeah. just wanted to live in a different place anyway yeah. so work try out, right? out something new yeah so, so yeah, headed to California. So headed to California, <laughs> and we literally we took a month to drive across. Oh, that's awesome! I've um, always wanted to do that. It was, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Got to learn. It was really eye-opening for me to see how different people, like different people, different states in the U.S., like what were yeah. it's And it, it is really different. So, for example, yeah. I lived, you know, New Jersey for seven years. I could never understand why people wanted to own a gun. Yeah. And I was like, this is bullshit. No one needs to own a gun. Yeah. It's hardcore. But then you're, you're driving, like, Montana. And you realize we were hiking and we were talking to this guy and he was saying, ah, yeah, you know, the other day I had a bear in my backyard and I had to oh pull up my, my shotgun and scare him away. Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah. he needed the gun. The bear's running yeah. around, I guess. It makes sense. So, huh. so it's really interesting. And yeah. like, so how do you, now suddenly it wasn't black and white for me and I, and I wouldn't have realized that if I hadn't yeah, you know, been exposed the time to through. other things. Yeah, yeah that's and, true. And uh, we were somewhere else. I forget which state we were in. Um, but we we had parked the car off and we were walking. We had to walk a little bit along the road to get to the to the start of a hike. Mm -hmm. We're walking down the road and there's this this pickup that's driving down the road and he, this guy's like honking. 
And we're like, what the hell is yeah. going on? Remember, we're from New Jersey. Yeah. Right? We both lived. That was our first experience to the U.S. That's the only place I'd lived in. No one just randomly honks at you in yeah. New Jersey. Okay? Um, so this guy's honking. Like, what the hell? So we turn around and he waves at us and we wave back and he just keeps <laughs> driving. We're like, was he just saying hi? Was, like, what the yeah. hell? So anyway, so we finish the hike and we're walking back and there's another pickup truck headed the other way and starts honking at us. We'll, like, wave back at him. And that's all it was. They were just being friendly. They were just they, saying hello. Anyone on the street, they're just saying hi. Yeah. And it's so different. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. And and those are you know those are some of the experiences that in my mind. It was absolutely fantastic. It was just a phenomenal yeah, just, trip. Learned so much about the U.S. Went uh-huh. to places that I would have never gone to otherwise. Yeah. Because they're in the middle of nowhere, and unless you're driving across the country, you're yeah, not going to stop you're not there. Not going to stop. Yeah. That's uh, great. Yeah. As a person that's only lived really in California, and New York, a little bit, I. Yeah, I'm very curious about the interior of the country and what's going on there and yeah, no, how it was, people it was, live. And it was fantastic. We stopped at, like, you know, Yellowstone and oh, a whole wow. bunch of places. And it was really cool because we had really good friends back in New Jersey who flew out to Yellowstone and met us there. Oh, nice. And we spent, like, a week camping in Yellowstone on the trip. And then cool. uh, drove to San Francisco, which was the last time I'd seen my sister in the U.S. because she was moving to Europe to start a new job there. Oh, wow. So we saw her place in San Francisco and Berkeley on the way down to San Diego. And we drove down. And yeah. Cool. It was, it was great. That's it was great. amazing. Yeah. Nice. So, so then you started your postdoc at... Yeah, so my postdoc at San Diego and then was back to all of the old pressures. But the pressures as a postdoc are different and they're far more acute and far more pronounced. Okay. Because there's... Because this is the big step. This is... You really have to stop. Now it's no longer about just... Prove getting, yourself. Yeah, you, have prove, you have to... It's not proving yourself. You've already okay. proved yourself as a grad student. You have to establish yourself. Okay. You have to have your as own project and as an independent entity. And and you have to learn all these skills. Like, how do you network? And how do you go up yeah. to some professor and just pretend that you're the coolest thing that happened in autophagy? <laughs> and very, you know, whole different yeah. set of skills. I always thought that a postdoc would be more stressful than grad school because... Yeah, because you have to kind of show everyone that you are a good scientist yeah. and make yourself hireable and, you know, an attractive person to hire for your school. But a lot of people have said it wasn't as stressful and you just go and do your thing and did, didn't made it sound like it like grad school was the stressful part and then postdoc was kind of, oh, you just go and do it. Well, that's a, well but, for me, it's a But really, I always thought, yeah. That's, well, from my perspective, postdoc yeah. was more stressful. Um, it could also be that I was at UCSD, which was a much more prestigious yeah. university than Rutgers, and so maybe probably the standards were higher. And, and like everyone around us is publishing in Nature, Cell, yeah, and Science, and so if you to. get a shitty PNAS paper, <laughs> you're like, what? You know, so okay. Uh, so maybe that was part of it. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. Definitely Sounds. more stressful. Um, but again, you know, I had a great time. I was, again, had a fantastic lab. My mentor, again, super supportive. Amy was, was wonderful. Um, she was an ex- excellent scientist. Who was your PI? Uh, Amy Kiger was my, okay. was my postdoctoral advisor. And, um, you know, had made, set up some fantastic... And I was also very lucky because that was around the time I was doing my postdoc is also when UCSD um, started the Center for Systems Biology. Okay. And so I got to hang out with those people, and that opened my mind to whole new ways of thinking yeah. about biology, um, and and the kinds of things you can do. Um, it's Lev Simring's group, 
uh, does a lot of mathematical modeling and mm -hmm. I was like wow you can use math and biology yeah and cool. computers yeah <laughs> so learn again learned a heck of a lot met a lot of super cool people and it was just you know another fantastic experience but around that time I also realized that I was having a lot more fun mentoring students uh -huh. um, and then I had the opportunity to actually teach um, the cell bio course at, okay. uh, at UCSD. How did that opportunity come about? Did, I, mean, uh, I heard about I heard that they were looking for postdocs to, and so UCSD started this program where they're trying to get postdocs more involved in the teaching mission so, because they okay. want to give them more um, uh, exposure to the teaching aspect yeah. of their career so that, when, so that they become more hireable because uh -huh. you can go and say, hey, I've taught this course and yeah. obviously people will prefer that. Um, so they had a concerted effort to do that, and so one of the things they did was give postdocs the opportunity to actually teach a course. Okay. One of the courses was cell bio, um, and I ended up, um, and thankfully, apparently no one else was interested in it, so it was great. <laughs> I didn't have to interview for it or anything. They were like, nice. sure, go ahead and okay, teach it. You You're a warm had body, you'll do it. I mean, yeah. Seemed um, like you would be a good candidate. And so that was the second thing. So the courses I taught at Rutgers were very, very small classes. Uh -huh. And so, yes, the things I wanted to do worked in a small class. UCSD uh, was going to be the 350 class. Oh, my god! So I was like, okay. why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> yeah, that but, sounds stressful. But again, I wanted to find out if there were things, you know, again, does my teaching philosophy work in a large classroom? Yeah. You know, what are the differences and what are the challenges? So, um, so I wanted to find out. And yeah. again, you know, I was like, yeah, I can do it. And again, Amy <laughs> was very supportive. We set goals of what I need to get done before I started the teaching. Um, mm -hmm. And then, uh, and so it worked out really well. I taught the course and apparently I did reasonably well at it. And it was a great experience. And again, I actually got a lot of students excited about cell bio and they kept coming great. and talking to me after yeah. the course was over and actually stayed in touch with a couple of them and they're doing really well now. And so it was really, it was really cool. But one of the things I realized with that experience was that we have an inordinate number of students that fall through the cracks. Uh huh. So, uh, for example, I had this one student come and talk to me. Wonderful, wonderful girl. Um, did did pretty well in class. She got an A in my in my course, and we were mm -hmm. chatting. Um, and I found out that she and her her mother had literally fled from Korea because oh she gosh. was being abused. But she was being physically abused, tortured by her husband. And so this family, somebody in Illinois had raised enough money to buy their air tickets for her and her two kids. Uh-huh. And that was all she left Korea with. Oh, my gosh. It was close on her back and her two kids, ended up in Illinois, didn't speak a word of English, mm -hmm. and raised her kids. So the only thing she could do was, was, was wash dishes in Korean restaurants. Yeah. And her mom had worked so hard that her fingers were permanently bent. Like, she could no longer straighten oh her fingers. Oh, my gosh. Right? Um, but and I but wonderful student. She never yeah. uses an excuse. Just a wonderful personality, very very positive. But the problem was she had come into college and had no, she had no idea how to deal with college. Uh -huh. And so the first two years of her college were just was miserable experience yeah. for her. Because even though UCSD had a lot of, has put in place a lot of resources for first generation college students mm -hmm. for to help people navigate. You know, like you were saying, you know, good counselors stuff like yeah. that. But the problem I realized is if you're a first-generation college student, you don't even know that these resources yeah. exist. You, you don't, you don't know even know how consider... to get the resources. Correct. So you don't consider the possibility that, oh, my God, they're paying someone to help me figure this shit out. Yeah. Right? Like, this yeah. is... And she's from Korea. Like, they don't do this crap in Korea. There's yeah. no counselors in Korea. Right? Yeah. So, 
So she completely fell through the cracks, but somehow she managed to, you know, catch up. But she's, but you know how it is. I mean, two years of undergrad, if you're in a hole, yeah, you, you spend the next two years just digging yourself out of that hole. Yeah. Um, but great kid, and then but she's doing that's what super well. She did a post back program at UCSD, did phenomenally well. Oh, took good. her MCAT and is now in med school. Oh wow! So it great. worked out well for her. But oh. what if I, but you know? Yeah. But I had I had actually about ten or twelve students who had not the same story, but sort of similar stories of uh-huh. how they're falling through the cracks. And so I think. That really, that really made me think a lot about the curriculum and how we teach and what we teach, and um, and I felt like my I could make a a really big impact by becoming by going more into the teaching aspect yeah. of the research. Um, and also, I think I I just was looking, like I was still excited about research, mm-hmm. but it seemed like I was itching for a change. And, yeah you know, to do something else and yeah. pick up a different kind of challenge and figure out something else totally, completely new. Yeah, and like you said, help, you know, also do more of the mentoring and more kind of helping these people so they don't fall through the cracks and stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, again, I was uh, one of those, you know, right place, right time things. I was I was very, very lucky. Um, Gabriel Wienhausen was Associate Dean of uh, Undergraduate Education at UCSD. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having a lot of really interesting conversations. So she, she is a wonderful, wonderful mentor for people interested in going. She's just a wonderful mentor for, uh-huh. for, for a lot of people. She, how she makes time to sit and just randomly <laughs> talk with postdocs, I have no clue. Um, but she does, and so we had a lot of conversations, and so she helped shape, you know, a lot of how what I was thinking in terms of career and things like uh-huh. that. Um, and so she, so, so after talking with her and all these experiences, and I realized, oh, I want to go more into sort of the, like I wanted my career to to move more into the sort of teaching aspect. Uh huh. Um, and then around the same time, these assistant teaching positions started opening up and they were yeah were, yeah so were there a lot of positions like that before always or no there weren't a lot yeah, of those positions like, so they, okay. I think this is a new trend that UCI is taking and you uh, see the whole UC system in general is taking yeah uh, and I think it's Get people more, that can focus on the education rather than having their mind scattered by lab and correct. this exactly. and all everything they have to do I think it's great to have I think, someone that's just focused on yeah and I think the theory behind the whole positions was was exactly that we have fantastic researchers who 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 have the inclination but not necessarily the time yeah. to also be fantastic professors and yeah. don't you know they it's hard enough just keeping up like micro literature just keeping up with that is hard enough yeah and now you got to go read up literature and what are the best practices in teaching and education like yeah. that's expecting too much and so they said why not have you know, as part of our teaching mission, bringing these people that will help with the teaching mission of the university. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason for why they have the help lecture potential security of employment or assistant teaching professor uh-huh. series. Um, and they were, and, and they were hiring and yeah. I interviewed and managed to fool them. And <laughs> here I am now. Yeah. yeah. And here you are. Yeah. So I, I TA'd for you and I noticed that it seemed like your class was a lot more interactive and yeah, just different from how I learned it, where you just listen to someone and take notes the whole time and then try to go back and go over it a million times until you remembered everything. Um, what, yeah, what, do you want to talk about your teaching style a little bit or how uh, it developed? Yeah, so I think my philosophy was essentially that you, uh, it's born out of the notion that human beings are designed to forget things that we don't use, <laughs> right? I mean, uh-huh. it doesn't matter if you're undergrad, grad, professor, whatever. 
if you learn something and you're not using it regularly, you're going to forget it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so, but what I wanted, so I figured just giving them a whole bunch of facts is not particularly useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my philosophy is born out of the idea that if you can teach them the process of how to acquire the facts on their own, but you teach them the process of how to use those facts, uh-huh. that process transcends, to my mind anyway, uh, particular disciplines or particular aspects of biology or physics or chemistry or yeah. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can, but that's the hard thing to do. The hard thing, I'm, I assume if you're anything like me, the hard part about grad school was not learning to do the experiments, it was figuring out how to solve the problems that you run into on your own, yeah. how to think about the science, how to think about the problem, how to come up, how to create solutions, how to create new ideas, yeah. right? And so I figure if that's the thing we can, we can get students involved in, then they're going to get more excited. And that's a long-term, that's a long-term skill that you've given them. Yeah. Then it doesn't matter if they're going to become doctors or scientists or professors or whatever. Yeah. It's a skill that they're going to use. Yeah, yeah, right? that's great. So that's the philosophy, and and the way I think about you know about about the system in general is is our students are 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 our products, mm-hmm. right? So the first thing, and so it's important to to market our product, and you know you you want to tell everyone how great UCI is, <laughs> but I think we have to also have. What what is how is our product different from a product coming out of Harvard University, for example, mm-hmm. right? And I would argue that our students are no worse in any way than those students coming out of Harvard or MIT, uh-huh. on average, right? Yeah. Um, but why is why do we automatically assume that those Harvard kids are going to be better or smarter or whatever? Right? I have no idea. But if we if we send students out there, and it doesn't matter what field they get into. Uh, and I'm speaking from a biology perspective because that's what I'm, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I teach and that's what, that's the portion of the campus that I'm on. But again, I don't think the philosophy is restricted to biology, right? But if we send students out there that immediately go out and make their mark wherever they are and people sit up and take notice when a student is coming out of UCI because uh-huh. they know they've gotten such a kick-ass education. <laughs> and I think about my yeah. master's program. No one in the world has heard about MS University. Oh, not a lot of people have heard about MS University. Uh-huh. But but the pro- the students that come out are just so well-trained yeah. that when you do meet one of them, you sit up and you take notice. Yeah. Right? And so I feel like that's, cool. that's the that's that would be my vision for UCI. We make our students just so freaking amazing. Yeah. That it doesn't matter that Harvard has more has a bigger endowment than us or yeah. whatever, right? But people are like, oh, that kid's from UCI, yeah. They're, we can trust them. They, <laughs> yeah. they know their shit. They're ready for the world. They're ready for the world, right? <laughs> um, and so that's sort of the philosophy that, that influences that's the way great. I teach. And I think in order to achieve that, I think you need to have a two-way communication in a class between uh-huh. the professor and the students. You can't just you can't expect all of that if you're just going to stand there and lecture. Yeah. Which is why I think you notice that I try and make it more interactive. Yeah. Much more, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where we're at. Cool. So what are the challenges you faced in your position as a lecturer? What are um, the main things? I, I think the big change is is really in terms of changing the culture. Because right? uh-huh. students come in expecting they're going to have to memorize a bunch of things and then spew it out at you at, in an exam. Yeah. And then suddenly you're asking them to 
do this weird thing called thinking and figuring out <laughs> stuff on their own and you don't just tell them the answer and yeah they and don't they, like it and they hate it and 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 it takes and it only have 10 weeks that's one of the problems yeah. with the quarter system you have 10 weeks with so them short. Right? Mm-hmm. so um so i feel like that's sort of a, a cultural shift that we really have to engender and 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 i think we should empower our students to ask to be challenged yeah um yeah i found it difficult when i was you know just TAing you know yeah because it seems like they just want you to yeah tell them the answers tell them what, exactly what to expect and exactly how to do you know what you want them to do and it was really hard to kind of yeah try try to have them think for themselves and everything um and, yeah, I don't know, I just found it really hard. And then in the end, oh, yeah, because in the end, then they just don't even seem like they really appreciate it. They're just like, oh, let me get out of here. But I think probably looking back, they'll realize yeah. that that style of learning yeah. helped them a lot more than, you know, than they thought. Yeah. So, but it must be hard <laughs> to, like, not, I don't know, well, yeah, do you feel appreciated? Is that part of your job? Is just being like, it doesn't matter. I'm doing what I think is best. And I mean, that's one of the nice things is a lot of students are very demonstrative and they, they really that's appreciate good. what you're doing for them. So they kind of realize know, they, it. They do come a lot. of. So I think it's, you know, if I have 450 students in Bio 98, for example, uh-huh. I know that not every student is going to appreciate this uh-huh. and some students are going to hate you. Um, <laughs> But that's just, that's just the nature. Of it. But it doesn't yeah. matter what you do. No matter what you do, some students are going to hate you. Yeah. Because in a class of 450 students, you're going to be doing something wrong yeah. for some of them. It doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. Um, so you just kind of have to accept that. and. So you have to accept it. On. But I think, I think that's one of the other challenges to sort of always be aware or, or to, to pay attention to what feedback you're getting from the students. Mm-hmm. So, for example, some of the feedback I completely discount. Right. Okay. So, so your tests are too hard, your this is crazy, your expectations are too high, we're yeah. not grad students. You know, I get this sort of stuff constantly. And that I completely discount because yes, my expectations are high. And if you read my syllabus, one of the first sentences is my expectations are high. <laughs> so yeah. you know what? That's yes, that's part of my that's I'm gonna do that. Um but but you wanna pay attention to, to things like are you saying things that certain groups of students are finding offensive are you putting off people mm-hmm. from being interested in biology or science by things that you're doing um so if, so that's to you that's sort of the hard thing i think is to is what do you discount and what do you pay serious yeah. attention to and that's sometimes hard yeah and i think it's also hard for professors to listen to the criticism you know and and if they are going to kind of take it in and think about what they can do better. I think that's hard when, yeah. you know, you feel like you're the professor and they're the student. Um, and so I think that's something It's like when you really... get reviews back from your paper, right? Yeah. Your first, your first reaction is this review is stupid. <laughs> yeah. Right? But yeah. then you got to sit and think about it and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe <laughs> there's a point there. Fine, I'll do that experiment, right? Yeah. So I think that's, it's very similar in some sense. Yeah, I guess that's just all part of it, learning how to take in criticism and yeah. make yourself better for it and not, yeah, not be cool. Well, let's see. Oh, so do you have different ways now that you relieve stress from, from work? Um, no, it's pretty much the same thing. So I still play a lot of volleyball yeah, and hobbies I'm and in the right place sports. for it. And, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, again, I try and, you know, hang out with, uh, with friends and yeah, just have a normal life outside yeah, of work. Totally. Yeah. 
I guess, find, find the balance. Yeah. Great. Well, I think that was great. Thank you for letting me oh, interview for, you. That was a lot of this, uh, really, was fun. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of really good advice for people and for me. Um, so thank you very much. Well, thanks, Kate. It was fun <laughs> talking to you. All right. All right.